0: A new survey finds that almost half of socialists believe it's okay to use violence against rich people. Repeat almost half of socialists think it's okay to hurt rich people. That's coming up. A listener left me a voicemail saying, You know, I'm always criticizing Congress because they take so many recesses. He says, If you've ever sat in on a congressional proceeding or just listened to them, they're just so boring. They're just so tedious. They're painful. He he almost can't blame Congress for taking a lot of breaks, a lot of recess. All right, so I've been thinking, you know, President Trump, he's showing so much strength on Iran, so much superhuman strength by not doing a thing against them. If Trump showed any more strength, Iran would be taking over the country, taking over the United States, you know, uh, not responding to Iran. I mean, Trump should go even further. Let Iran attack the United States directly. Trump won't retaliate. That will show superhuman strength. I mean that he'll be so strong. He'll invite the Ayatollah to come into the Oval Office, take over the White House, and he'll pack out. Trump will go hide in a cave. Could you imagine anything stronger than allowing the Iranians to invade the United States and being so restrained, having the discipline? I can't imagine anything stronger. All right, we have a lot of fun things to get to, but of course we need to deal with this whistleblower fiasco. Nancy Pelosi is holding a meeting today with Democrats at 4 p.m. They're supposed to be deciding whether they're going to impeach Trump. Yes, there it is impeached. They have so much credibility. The Democrats, it's not like they throw around that word impeach or the media just you know, uses it just all the time, even though they don't really mean it. They only reserve it for when they're really serious. That's why like, it's the only thing we've heard them talk about for two years. So I don't believe they're going to impeach for a moment. But meanwhile, President Trump has announced that he's going to release the transcript of the call with Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, the unredacted transcript. That should make Jerry Nadler happy. He likes things being unredacted. That's going to happen tomorrow. And Trump says it was a great conversation, by the way. He says it was the best conversation ever. That's literally what he said, the conversation that he had with the Ukrainian president. But I love how transparent Trump is being. Let's just nip this in the bud. Remember, they did that with the Don Jr. emails when they were setting up that meeting where the Russian lawyer was going to give the Trump campaign, Don Jr., dirt on Hillary Clinton, and everybody talked about how that was a crime. And then he released those emails, and he said, yeah, I love the idea. Please give us dirt on Hillary. Turns out it's not a crime to meet with a Russian lawyer to ask for dirt on an opposition candidate. And right now, you know, no president is this transparent like President Trump. I mean, look how much... He gave Mueller. No, you know, and all these all, hours and hours and hours of testimony, Trump's own lawyer, Trump's own children. It's unheard of. No politician is as transparent as Trump, and yet the media always talks about how he might, he blocks the media and you know he somehow suppresses the media. Now, there's nothing. There is no information, there is no evidence, there's no crime. It's the same old story. We're right back to, 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 to the Mueller probe. All we know is. Trump admitted that he discussed the Bidens with Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, when he had that phone call. It's not a crime to discuss the Bidens. If I call the, the, the Ukrainian president right now, if I manage to get through to him, and I discuss Joe Biden and Joe Biden's son, that's not a crime. Okay, then we have this whistleblower. The whistleblower did not hear the call himself, but the whistleblower claims that somebody told the whistleblower, the mystery person, that uh, Trump uh, pressured... This Zelensky to investigate Joe Biden. That's not a crime either, by the way, to pressure Zelensky to to investigate Joe Biden. The big question is, is it a crime if he actually withholds funds? And even that nobody has really you know, proven that that's a crime. Now it's being reported that Trump, I'll tell you all the facts here, uh, you know, very objective, uh, that that Trump withheld millions of dollars in funding, what was it, $400 million in funding to Ukraine. A a few days before the phone call happened, Trump withheld millions of dollars, $400 million in funding to Ukraine. Then he gets on the call and he had uh, this conversation where they discussed Joe Biden. And they probably brought up the investigation into Joe Biden, who pressured Ukraine to fire a prosecutor, and that we know. You know, one of these days, I gotta, I have to play you that clip where Joe Biden is like bragging about the fact that he threatened to withhold money if they don't fire that prosecutor. That we know. But Trump withholding $400 million from Ukraine, that's not a crime either. Trump withholds funding from foreign countries all the time. It's not a crime. So you have a bunch of pieces here that n- none of which is a crime. And by the way, the New York Times reported this week that Trump did not discuss delaying military funding uh, on that call with Zelensky. So the New York Times themselves admits that Trump did not discuss the delay in military funding. Again, this is the big argument, the big claim, the big impeachable offenses. He got on the phone, Trump, and he said, listen, I'm withholding all this money. I'll give you this money as soon as you give me some dirt on Joe Biden. So we have the same old story. No evidence of a crime, a lot of idle speculation, empty speculation, a lot of fake news. They throw around the word impeach despite having no evidence whatsoever to support it, and you know the headlines? It's so egregious. If these allegations are true, Trump may be impeached. If Trump committed treason, you know, he's going to get, it's always the same old, they qualify it, you know, if Trump uh, stole millions of dollars from old people, then he deserves to be in jail. If, 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 enough of the if, let's discuss something that was actually done. You know what Bill Weld said? Republican Bill Weld, and I'm sorry. To me, this is disgraceful that you know that uh, a fellow Republican you know cares so much about his own publicity that you know, he's just throwing Trump under the bus. So Bill Weld, who of course is running against Trump in this non-existent Republican primary, he says that look. Trump committed treason. He called it treason. And he said that treason is punishable, punishable excuse me, by the death penalty. And if Trump just gets ousted from office, but, but actually gets to live, then that's a pretty good deal. That's literally what Bill Weld told Joe Scarborough on MSNBC. So look, we'll keep you updated. As we said, the big uh, developments are waiting for here. Pelosi's going to have that meeting. Then she's going to announce. I I know it's going to happen. After the meeting, she's going to say we had a discussion and we are moving things forward. You know, it's not time yet to impeach. We have to wait and see. You know how I know? Because they're just replaying the same old story over and over again. It's just so tedious at this point. And of course, tomorrow, expect that transcript of that phone call. Okay, a new UN report. This is an incredible Stunning revelation. A new UN report has been released and it links the BDS movement to anti Semitism, essentially, the UN calling the BDS movement an anti Semitic movement, in addition to a lot of other things that this UN report has in it, uh, you know, that uh, spoke outspoken against all the anti Semitism, which of course is spiking and is surging. And what's incredible about this, clearly, Clearly, this is the influence of Trump and Nikki Haley. This is the first time ever that the UN has actually done a detailed report at all about anti-Semitism. But to connect the BDS movement with anti-Semitism, and this is going to be crushing, this is going to be a death blow to the BDS movement because, you know, you have the United States government and you have other governments, you have a lot of people who are, uh, you know, condemning the BDS movement, distancing themselves from it. And then you have the defenders of the BDS movement, you know, Rashida Taib, Lan Omar, Uh, Ocasio-Cortez and others, they say, and even Bernie Sanders, they say, it's a political movement. The the Israelis are occupiers, you know, let alone there's many other really, really bad countries out there who uh, do really occupy uh, other free people, people who should be free, and persecute them, and no one ever speaks out against them. They're always boycotting Israel, the occupiers, but now that the UN themselves, I mean, the UN, no friend of Israel, totally sympathetic to the Palestinians. And yet uh, the UN has admitted in this report that the BDS movement is uh, an anti-Semitic movement. Now, uh, uh, again, uh, in addition, unlike previous UN reports, this UN report defines anti Semitism as a global phenomenon, not some localized issue in the United States and Europe, but a global phenomenon. And the report expresses serious concern that the frequency of anti Semitic incidents is increasing, and the prevalence of anti Semitism and the risk of violence to Jews is significant, even in countries with little or no Jewish population. And as I said, the report says the objectives and activities of the BDS movement are fundamentally anti-Semitic, or at least the report, you know, is open to that possibility. And now, Denny Danone, the Israeli ambassador to the UN said, quote, we welcome the release of this unprecedented report it reflects the organizational change. Toward Israel, the assertion the BDS movement encourages anti-Semitism is an important statement by the UN. So what he's saying here is Danone is that the UN has totally shifted, and you know has, is much more favorable and positive toward Israel and toward the Jews than it's ever been. Now let's do the math here. What could that possibly have something to do with Nikki Haley, who was so outspoken, who really really pushed the UN very hard and pressured them, uh, you know, to to be slightly more objective? They're no friend of Israel. And by the way, Trump and the embassy move because what they've done is they shifted the needle now the starting point is no longer well should we divide jerusalem or not you know should we uh, have a two state solution that's not even like on the table now the the starting point is okay Israel is clearly in control. Israel has the right. Trump recognized you know, sovereignty over the Golan Heights, etc. Tr- Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Now the discussion it just is, are the Palestinians going to get on board, or are they just going to be shoved aside? And, 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 and will the UN eventually throw the Palestinians under the bus? Because they've been totally, totally uncooperative. Okay, uh, a new survey shows that college students who lean Republican are forced to hide their viewpoints and just withhold their point of view because they're afraid it'll affect their grades. It doesn't surprise me, but it really is staggering. You have, uh, this was a survey of a thousand college students who lean Republican. Almost three quarters of them have withheld their political views in class because they're afraid that their grades would suffer. So, you know, when they write an essay, even if they're conservative, they make sure that the essay is a liberal essay. And, you know, when they have conversations, discussions in class about politics, they don't, either they don't express their opinion at all, or maybe, you know, they disguise it or whatever, but they're afraid that if they actually say that they support Trump, or or even for that matter, it would seem if they say they want low taxes, they want a secure border, they want to be tough on illegals. Those things, you know, they want to be tough on Iran. Oh, you are, you know, they support Israel. Uh, Then you get labeled, your grades will suffer, the professor will abuse these students. So not only, not only are they going to college where they get indoctrinated, where they get brainwashed, where they hear these professors spew their liberalism, their hatred for the United States, for President Trump, You know, for the conservative point of view, not only are they suffering through all of that, but they can't even express. You got 73 percent, basically three out of four cannot even express their personal beliefs with with just what they their opinion. They can't express their opinion. By the way. This is, uh, you know, college campuses, which they claim to be all about freedom of speech. You know, they claim to be all about the First Amendment. They claim that, you know, the, the, the Republicans, the conservatives are the ones that suppress freedom of speech. The ultimate irony here, colleges are not about freedom of speech, anything but that. You know, anytime you have these right wing speakers and activists go on these college campuses, they get harassed. There are riots. There are protests against them. Yeah, that's freedom of speech, right? OK, a new survey from the Cato Institute shows that nearly half of socialists think it is acceptable to use violence on rich people. And let's figure out where this mentality comes from. 47% of people who have strongly favorable views of socialism think, quote, citizens taking violent action against the rich is sometimes Acceptable. Well, it's only sometimes acceptable, so that's okay. Like when, when exactly? How do you decide that it's acceptable to go over and beat somebody because they have a lot of money? And by the way, lest you think that this is only fringe socialists, it's just the radicals. That's not the case because that's 47 percent of socialists. Strong liberals, 36 percent of strong liberals that they define themselves as strong liberals, think it's okay to be violent against the rich sometimes 35%. So that's more than a third, 35% of Americans under 30 agree that violence against the rich is sometimes justifiable. So <laughs> you got more than a third of liberals, more than a third of people under 30 and and then you have 47% of socialists who think well if you see a wealthy person and the conditions are right then go over and beat them take a baseball bat. I mean it's like It boggles the mind. You cannot make this. I read this and, you know, I say to myself that, you know, wake me up. This must be a dream because how is it possible that 35% of Americans under 30 think that it's justified to use violence on a rich person? 47% of socialists. Now, I know socialists. I know that there's something wrong with them. Maybe you could argue socialism is a mental illness. I don't doubt that for a minute, you know, but, but, but even still now. This comes from those college campuses but this comes from Warren and Sanders, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, who have declared war on rich people. They literally make rich people into monsters. Here you have Trump talking about how the media is the enemy of the people, which they which they clearly are, you know, literally talking about treason and impeachment all day long. And then you have Warren and Sanders, they're actually turning the rich into the enemy of the people. When, you know, for you can argue, as I'll get to the numbers in a moment, that the rich are the ones who are sustaining the country. By the way, as an aside, before I forget, you know, Elizabeth Warren, she has come under fire, you know, when they become the front runner. And, and Warren is not there yet, but she's inching much closer to, to, to taking the lead over Biden. In some states she does have the lead already. And, you know, so now she's the one who's getting all. Well, remember Biden? He was under attack. This onslaught of uh, issues and Scandals and controversies that's happening to Elizabeth Warren now. She's been much more careful to avoid, you know, other than the uh, American Indian Native American thing. You know, uh, Elizabeth Warren has managed to avoid, you know, any any kind of controversy. But you know, she keeps dodging the question over whether she wants to raise taxes on the middle class. It's clear from her answer she wants to raise taxes on the middle class. There's no other way to pay for the Medicare for All outrageous plan that she p- proposes without taxing the middle class. Bernie Sanders has the same plan. They have the same plan. And Bernie Sanders says, of course we have to tax the middle class. How do you expect to spend all the trillions of dollars to pay for Medicare for all? But anyway, getting back to this issue with the socialists, you know, uh, they uh, they keep talking about how the rich people are basically stacking the deck against everybody else and basically stealing our money. That's literally how they talk, as if the rich people are stealing their money. And now you have socialists who say, well, it's okay to beat rich people. Uh, well, let's do the math here. Bill de Blas, you remember what he said in one of those debates? He said, he said, people think there's not enough money to go around. There's plenty of money to go around. It's just the wrong people have the money. It, it, literally saying that you should just be stealing money from rich people because they, they're not the ones who deserve to have the money. Now, meanwhile, just so you know about taxes, uh, you know that uh, the top 1% of the country, the people that the socialists despise, they pay. You know how much? What percentage of income taxes they pay? The top one percent, top one one hundredth of the country. You know what percentage they pay? Thirty-seven percent of the country's income taxes. That uh, literally thirty-seven percent of the country's income taxes are paid by the top one percent. They earn, by the way, twenty percent of uh, of the national income. So even if you want to say it doesn't go by you know, how many people there are, it goes by what percentage of income they have. They have 20% of the national income, they're paying 37% of income taxes, almost twice their share, and the top half of income earners pay 97% of all federal income taxes. So the bottom half of income earners pretty much pay no income taxes at all. And you know what, and I'm still open to taxing the rich even more, not to the extremes that Sanders and Warren want to go. I'm open to having that discussion, but this is just boggles the mind. Okay, the most unpopular policy. There was a poll. What is the most unpopular policy that the Democrat candidates support? Anybody want to guess? That would be government-funded health care for illegals. No surprise there. Of course, every single Democrat, pretty much, candidate supports government-funded health care for illegals, or at least the majority of them. And uh, the Wall Street Journal, NBC News, got together, took a poll. They asked voters to rank the policies, the the most popular to the least popular, their favorite policy versus least favorite policy among the Democrat candidate policy. They gave them a list, I think, of 12 different policies. Overwhelmingly, it was government-funded health care for illegals. 62% of respondents said that taxpayer-funded health care for illegals is uh, the policy they like the least, And, you know, this policy is really, this policy would cost $66 billion a year. Again, 62% of people say that this is the least popular Democrat candidate proposal. And it would cost about $66 billion a year to fund illegals. Healthcare. Now, what's amazing is this policy is one of the big reasons that the DNC changed the rules of their debates where they don't allow a single question where candidates just raise their hand. The easiest way, the most effective way to find out, you know, very quickly what these Democrat candidates actually believe is when the moderators ask them a question do you support this or not? Yes or no question about a specific policy and then their hands either go up or don't go up. You know, instead you listen to them kind of go back and forth and a lot of it's, you know, very, very redundant and a lot of very complicated rhetoric and facts and numbers and they agree about most things anyway. So, you know, it's really hard to get a feel for what they believe. Here it's like, all right, do you support government-funded health care for illegals? Their hands go up. Their hands don't go up. You know, do you support open borders? Do you support whatever, you know, uh, repealing Trump tax cuts? And, and all these radical policies, do you support the Green New Deal? Hands up or hands down? So the the Democrat, the DNC, the party actually stopped that, where the moderators are not allowed, it's in the rules of the debate, to ask them a question like that, have their hands go up. And the reason is because it's an easy way to expose all their radical, wacky policies, like, you know, government-funded uh, health care for illegals. Now, uh, there's been this, uh, a, a huge amount of public comments we told you a few weeks ago, President Trump uh, and the Agriculture Department, they revised the food stamp rules. They they closed a loophole, essentially, which is going to take a bunch of people off of food stamps who don't belong there in the first place. New, new policy. And what the policy essentially says is, in a nutshell, uh, is that uh, you have to qualify for food stamps, for SNAP, for food stamps. In order to get food stamps, you need to qualify. You need to meet the qualifications, income, etc., Now, I know that sounds surprising. Well, what was beforehand? But believe it or not, yeah, beforehand, you actually didn't have to qualify. There was a way, there was a loophole, there was a a way to sneak in and uh, get food stamps, even though people didn't actually meet the qualifications, the criteria, even though people made too much money. Because there are other state programs, and those state programs have different uh, guidelines, you know, have different rules and different income level criteria. And then they made this law, this rule, this policy where if you qualify for that state program, whatever the state may be, then you automatically get into the federal food stamp program, even though it has different income guidelines. It makes no sense. It's just bizarre. It doesn't make any sense. The reason this is coming up now, so Trump instituted a new policy. It's expected to take several million people off of. Food stamp benefits who, again, don't belong. I believe 3 million is the number, the estimate, who don't belong on food stamps in the first place, but we're getting it because they qualify for some other program which had a different set of guidelines. It makes no sense. Now, there's been this public comment period when they institute these new guidelines. There's this... Window of time when people, anyone who wants can, I guess, go to the website uh, and uh, the Department of Agriculture in this case and leave comments. And there have been over seventy-five thousand comments. the The window just ended. Uh, 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 most of them are opposed to the new food stamp guidelines. Now the media keeps saying this rule change is going to cut millions of people from SNAP from the food stamp program, and That's fake news. It's not cutting them. Yeah, technically it's cutting them, but it's cutting them because they didn't belong. So again, it wasn't fraud. You know, they were following the rules, but it's a loophole. It's closing a loophole. So what it should say is this is going to remove three million people who are getting food stamps despite the fact that they don't actually qualify and that they earn too much money and the government doesn't feel that they need food stamps by the government's own Standards. You actually had 70 mayors who left comments around the country and 17 governors all opposed to the new policy. Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue said, quote, they're changing the rules to prevent an abuse of this critical safety net system so that those who need food assistance the most are the only ones who receive it. And you know the incredible part is they the reason these things happen, they don't cap the budget for food stamps, for Medicaid they, they don't cap the budget when they have these government social programs for low-income people. They do not limit the budget. It, it, it makes no sense. Now, I don't know what the answer is. I, I, this is an issue. This is sort of a dilemma. It's a quandary where, you know, what do you do if you only have a limited... Look, there's a, there's a trillion-dollar budget deficit. So if they really wanted to only give out money, uh, and it's because of programs like food stamps and Medicaid a, 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 and Medicare, which is like... Half the, half, the, half the budget, $4 trillion budget. But the point is that first you start off with, all right, how much money does the government have to allocate to food stamps? That's how we should start. And it's like, all right, well, let's say we have, I don't know, you know, $20 billion for food stamps. Okay, well, now let's figure out who are the most needy who qualify for those $20 billion. It doesn't work that way. First, the government figures out, all right, here are the income guidelines. Here's how much a person needs to be making or how little a person needs to be making in order to qualify. And let's say... They have too many people qualifying based on those standards, not enough money. Well, we're just going to find more money. We're just going to borrow more money from China or borrow more money from somebody else, just go into further debt. So it's like the starting point is, okay, here are the qualifications. Here's what it takes in order to qualify for food stamps. And what do you do if you go over budget because you have too many people to qualify? Well, we'll just have to you know raise taxes or borrow money or come up with some other way to pay for it because – that's never, like, budgeting, that's, like, never even in the picture. Well, maybe you can't afford to keep the program running, so you have to come up with some solution. No, no, no. We'll, we'll, we'll just find the money somehow. But it's never like, all right, let's start with how much money we have, and then we'll figure out the guidelines in order to make sure that we only have the amount of people in the program that, you know, we can actually afford to, to, to cover. It, it's, just, it's just bizarre. And nobody even has this conversation. It's like a given in Washington. Everyone else on the planet, every business, every private household... You figure out your budget, if you can't afford it, well, there's no other option. It's not like in my house, you know, if, if, if we can't afford to buy a car, well, let me just raise taxes on somebody and I'll have more money to buy a car. Only the government. Okay, and finally, the DNC, Democrat National Committee, has made it harder to qualify for the fifth Democrat debate in November. You can hear all the details in our news section. Uh, 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 Hassan Rouhani, the president of Iran, He is not going to be allowed to travel wherever he wants in New York. He's in New York for the UN General Assembly, but they haven't granted him a visa. So he's only allowed to to travel within a few blocks of the UN building in New York City, but he's not allowed to go outside of a certain perimeter. That's good. And you may or may not remember, it's been a while, but Rudy Giuliani as mayor of New York back in the 90s, Yasser Arafat uh, came to New York, and Rudy Giuliani actually, you know, Arafat was allowed to travel, within New York, but uh, Rudy Giuliani somehow ended up in the same, I believe it was an opera house or a symphony or something, Lincoln Center, something like that, where Giuliani ended up being there at a a certain performance, and in walks Yasser Arafat, and Giuliani actually had the NYPD uh, escort Yasser Arafat out of the building, he kicked him out, in in one of his finest moments, Giuliani, and there are many, you know, and uh, you know President Trump would do the same thing, that's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.